This is episode number 175 with Samantha Wills. Welcome to the Melissa Ambrosini Show. I'm your host, Melissa, best-selling author of Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide. And I'm here to remind you that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word. Each week, I'll be getting up close and personal with thought leaders from around the globe, as well as your weekly dose of motivation so that you can create epic change in your own life and become the best version of yourself possible. Are you ready, beautiful? I just wanted to quickly remind you that if you haven't already, make sure you hit subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Mine is Himalaya. For those of you that have not heard of Himalaya, it's an epic brand new podcast app which has so many awesome and unique features no other podcast app has, like episode and channel playlists. It's free, so easy to find new shows, and is really user-friendly. So head on over to the app or Google Play Store to download it today. Don't forget to follow me once you're done so that you can listen to my episodes one day earlier than they're usually released. Pretty cool, huh? At age 21, Samantha Wills founded her own self-titled jewelry and accessories company. An instant hit with media and customers alike, she quickly gained a high profile in the media spotlight as one of Australia's most dynamic designers. And after having her jewelry featured in Sex and the City, this thrust her onto the international stage and she was shortly declared a breakout star by the New York Times. How cool is that? However, in 2018, she took her bravest leap yet and announced the closure of Samantha Wills Jewelry in order to pursue other creative endeavors. Now, I personally cannot wait to see what she comes up with next. She also has a massive following and her online voice is very natural and down to earth, which I love, whilst her imagery and lifestyle are jet set and glamorous. The unique mix of aspirational and approachable and her down to earth voice have become bankable property with big brands such as Mount Franklin, Nespresso, Yellow Glen, Optus, Holden and American Express, which she works very closely with. She is also a regular keynote speaker at conferences globally that focus on women in business. And she often shares her inspiring story with young women with the message that young girls with big dreams become women with visions, encouraging young women that no matter what their background, to chase their dreams with aggression, persistence, and hard work. It is with this message that has seen the launch of her newest project, the Samantha Wills Foundation, Empowering Women in Business, an online forum designed to inspire and connect young entrepreneurs, young in the journey, not defining by age. She is tipped to be Australia's biggest export since Vegemite by the fashion writer Inez Mendoza, and she is one of Australia's most successful and inspiring names and was nominated for the 2016 Australian of the Year Award. Pretty awesome, huh? And in this episode, we chat about her story from coming from a small town, Port Macquarie, to the Bondi markets, to the big smoke in New York City, with a global empire and cult following, 
her key steps to build a global empire, why you must know your why in business, why values matter, what it means to stand for something and why that is so important, how to build a tribe, why authenticity creates community, why she decided to walk away from her global empire with a cult following, what's next on the cards for her, her biggest business lessons, these were awesome, how to cultivate work-life integration, her boundaries that allow her to thrive, her best relationship tips and tricks, plus so much more. And for everything that Samantha and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes. And that is over at melissarambrosini.com forward slash 175. But before we dive into today's episode, I want to read the review of the week. And this comes from TMN1981. And it is a five-star review titled Enjoyable Education. And she says, or he says, I'm not sure if it's a guy or a girl, so delightful to be able to start my morning with Melissa's beautiful voice in my head, learning something new and enjoying it. Thank you. Thank you so much for that beautiful review. I'm so grateful. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave me that review right now. And let's now bring on the stunning, the absolutely inspiring Samantha Wills. Welcome, Samantha. I am so excited to have you on the show, a fellow Aussie. But before we dive in, can you please tell us what you had for breakfast this morning? Oh, well, good morning. I did. I had my favorite smashed avo and poached eggs. So very Australian breakfast this morning. Yum, 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 yum. Now, I'm so excited for this conversation, but can you take us back and tell us your story and how you got to where you are today with this global empire and how it all began? Yeah, so I grew up in Port Macquarie, a very small town in the mid-north coast of Australia. And my mum put me in beading classes when I was 11 years old. And I think it was very much just to keep me out of trouble in the school holidays. It was a, like a little, little craft shop in my hometown and um, it was $8 a lesson. And I really attribute learning kind of the basis of jewelry making back to then. My parents always had small businesses and um, my mum had a, like a boutique clothing store and she would allow me to sell, you know, little pieces of jewelry that I'd made on the counter there. And I was probably 12 years old by this stage and was, you know, earning 50 or $60 a week from handmaking jewellery. And throughout high school, you know, I was making it for friends and things and barely finished high school and didn't, didn't go to university and moved to Sydney when I was about 20 years old. And in Sydney, I was just working a retail job and still doing jewellery as kind of a hobby, you know, at night times. And friends would kind of come over and see the, the jewellery on the dining table and be like, oh, you know, can I buy this? And I was like, oh, you know, absolutely not a problem. And then they'd bring friends over and kind of started this almost organic jewelry party, I guess, you know, kind of party plan kind of style where people would then host it in their home. So I'd kind of bring over this Tupperware full of handmade jewelry and lay it out on their dining tables. And they'd have 10 or, you know, 15 girlfriends over. And then, you know, three more people would book and 
it really started this organic kind of party plan business. Um, so I was working full-time through the day, doing the jewelry parties at night, hand-making jewelry every other night. And then down at Bondi Beach Markets, which was a still there today, but at the time it was very much a launch pad for Australian designers. And I took a stall down there every Sunday. So you'd kind of go down, it was a time before the internet, kind of online registrations. And so you'd line up at three o'clock in the morning down there and to get the same market stall. So kind of, you know, people would recognize that you're in the same spot every week. Could do a full day down there. And then after doing all of this for about a year, a friend down at the markets had a showroom wall at Australian Fashion Week in 2004. And it was a time when they used to have the, the runways down the middle and kind of these um, trade shows around the outside of the tent. And he said, you know, do you want to come down and try and get some retail orders? Was, there was a spot on his showroom wall for $500. I think at the time I had $509 in my bank account. And I was like, oh, you know, hopefully I'll take the spot and hopefully get a bit of PR out of it or make one order back. And after the four-day trade show down there, I had written $17,000 worth of orders and was like, oh, shit, like I've actually got to go and actually fulfill these orders that I've, you know, handmade and quit my retail job the next day. And, you know, 22 years old was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to start a, a jewelry company. And that was nearly 16 years ago. Wow. 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 And now you have this global empire that is just so beautiful. And everything that you do is just so stunning. Like even your Instagram, it's just so beautifully curated. You're always perfectly immaculate. Whenever I see you, I've seen you speak a couple of times and you're always so well-groomed and you just look amazing. But let's get practical. So there's a lot of people listening to this and they want to launch their dream business. Mm -hmm. How do they do it? Like what were some of the first steps that you took to build your jewelry empire? Yeah, it's it's a really good question. And it's a question that, you know, in 2004 was very, very different to now in, in a lot of ways. Mm. Um, obviously, social media now, it, it just wasn't a thing back then. But I think, you know, I think the, the biggest key things for me, if I was to start a new brand tomorrow, I think the most important thing is knowing your why. And, you know, Simon Sinek talks often about people don't purchase what you do, they purchase why you do it. And I think that the best brands, you know, product is secondary, I believe. Any, anyone can do a good product. And if you're in business, you should have a good product. But it's about the ability to emotionally connect that with a consumer. And that is done through storytelling. You know, really owning your story and owning the authenticity of your story because people can copy product and they can copy packaging, but your story is your story and that's what sets you apart. And I think the other really important thing is defining your own personal values. I think that's, you know, your personal brand is your highest currency that you'll ever have. And if you know your own personal values, that is a, a huge investment, I think, across any type of work, whether it's your own brand or, you know, a career working in other brands and businesses that is a really good, I think, gauge to see where you're at and how your personal brand translates. And I think if, if you're going into launching your own brand, uh, another thing I like to say to people is stand for something. It's kind of, you know, the world doesn't need another product that kind of has nothing to say. I think there is such power and such a need, especially for women in business to stand for something or fall for anything is, is kind of how I put it. And it's the world needs more of opinion and it needs integrity around kind of that authenticity of people standing for something 
because that is how communities are formed. And I believe that, you know, we, we don't need any more product that is, is simply just a product. That makes sense. Mm, absolutely. So can you share your why with us? Yeah. And that evolves over the years. And I think, you know, back in 2004, jewellery was something that I taught myself on the dining table. It was something that, you know, it wasn't a hugely expensive thing to start up. It was something I could do at home. And while I loved being creative, I wasn't, you know, I didn't love jewellery. I didn't get into it because I loved jewellery. I got into it because I loved branding. and I loved, wanted to create a brand that people wanted to be a part of. And, you know, I'd kind of get on, you know, the internet at the time and look at these brands' websites. And at the time, you know, people might update their website once a year. And I'd go on to brands that I really loved and try and find more about them, but there just wasn't a lot to kind of dig through. And I thought if I, I kind of wanted to create a brand that provided these layers that people could kind of lose themselves in, in, in a way and something that, you know, communicating that message and, you know, over time it led to now the Samantha Wills Foundation, which is a, a foundation that I started to empower women in business. But my why was very much around a brand that women wanted to be a part of and a brand that was kind. And I think in the, in the fashion industry, there's a stigma that fashion is very divisive and kind of almost has this elusive bitchiness to it, I guess. And I really wanted to have a brand that people felt very welcomed to be a part of, whether that's whether they're talking to me personally, whether they're talking to our customer experience team, when they get the product, how it makes them feel and something that they really wanted to be a part of. So the last 16 years has been building different layers at different times around that that message. Beautiful. Can you tell us a little bit more about the Samantha Wills Foundation? Yeah, so I launched it in 2016 and it was very much, I launched it because I looked back, I was doing a lot of public speaking around small business and, and entrepreneurs and very graciously people were waiting to speak to me after the event and kind of lining up to ask questions and, and things. And I found that the lines were getting so long, but everyone was asking similar questions. So I was, you know, trying to get through the line and not really giving people the integrity and the time of answer that I would have liked to, but because everyone was asking similar questions, I was like, if I could get a platform where I can give this integrity of answer and small business is, you know, 24 seven, it's not nine to five. And I looked back when I was 21 and, you know, I was up at three or four o'clock in the morning making jewelry. And you kind of, you feel like, you're the only one in the world awake at times and it can be so isolating and so daunting. I thought if I had something back then that I could log into at any hour of the day and know that I'm not alone in this process and whether that's sharing my story um, and things I've learned along the way, whether it's interviewing other women in business and you know highlighting and spotlighting their journey. And the one thing that I really wanted to do with it, I was like, we don't need any more overnight, you know, glamorous success stories and, you know, this polished, you know, rags to riches kind of story. The the prerequisite to get featured on the Samantha Wills Foundation is, you know, share your vulnerabilities and what are the hurdles and what has been your hardest moment and, you know, why do you cry in the shower? What makes you show up the next day? And I think that is where you get community and connection and everyone's going through the same shit. It's just no one's really kind of talking about it. So I wanted to create a platform that really brings together women speaking about their vulnerabilities and how we can help each other through through that journey. I absolutely love that. I think it's so important because you're right. You know, we look at Instagram and it's the highlight reel, Mm -hmm. yet it's when people share their vulnerabilities and what they've been through, whether it's business or personal, that 
we connect and we build tribe and community. And this is something I wanted to talk to you about is you have built this cult following. Like you have such an epic community and tribe that are so dedicated to your mission and and spreading the Samantha Wills Foundation message. Mm-hmm. So what are your tips or what is your advice on building a tribe and community? Yeah. And it wasn't while I wanted to create a brand, people wanted to be a part of it. It really was an organic growth. So I if I look back on, I guess, what the key success factors in that were is obviously authenticity. And it's such an overused word, I think, in in branding and marketing these days. But kind of going back to what I said before, like your story is the thing that no one else can copy. And I think just to segue for a second, my biggest mistake was I moved to New York to expand the business in North America when I was 28 years old. And it was very much a my first time living away from Australia. It was you know, I'd come from kind of $80,000 in debt from this, you know, early startup days and now had, you know, a very successful commercial business and a disposable income. And at the time, it was around 2008 and the brand in Australia was booming. We were known very much for our bohemian aesthetic. It was about oversized, you know, turquoise and these big chunky stones and it was burnished metals and it was layering and was this really kind of grassroots message of, you know, this underdog story from the, you know, story I told before from Port Macquarie to to Bondi Markets and and to now New York. And went over to New York and kind of got very romanced by, you know, everything that is the creative industry in New York and kind of these beautiful heritage brands. And, And I often say that, you know, you can have every aspiration for wanting your product to sit in a certain place in the market, but your consumer will actually dictate where your product sits. So whatever your highest skew sell through is, you know, say you want to be a $500 necklace brand, but you sell $120 bracelet sets, then you're a $120 bracelet set brand. And so I kind of went over there being like, oh, I, I really want the Samantha Wolves brand to sit, you know, one to two tiers higher in media space and also in retail space. And so I was talking to, you know, brand advisors and things on the ground over there. And they're like, you know, you need to do this and you need to, you know, you need to do shiny metals. You need to do more petite styles. And, you know, it's it's not bohemian over here. It's, you know, it's, it's more chic. And so I kind of took everything that was authentic and successful about the brand and in one season literally turned it around to be doing, okay, we're not, we're not doing turquoise anymore. We're doing, you know, we're a petite brand. We're doing fine jewelry. We're doing, you know, single layers. We're not doing layering. We're not using the word bohemian because that's not very premium. And I literally turned it on its head within one season and it very near bankrupted us within one collection. And it was such a wake up call to me to really sit myself down in front of the mirror and look myself in my own eyes. And like I said before, going back to the why and why I started this. And it was, you know, four, four or five years in at that point. And I just lost my way so much and so quickly that, you know, the the retailers had bought in big off the back of a very successful previous season. So they were left with all this stock that didn't sell. The consumer lost all connection because my message wasn't authentic. I wasn't lying to them, but I wasn't, you know, telling an authentic story. The team lost confidence in me and and the direction. So within, you know, one season, I'd put the, the brand in a position that really made me go back to the why of why we started and the reason that, you know, I, I segue into this story is because the authenticity is what creates community. And if you're authentic in what you do and you're consistent with your message, you'll naturally attract like-minded people. 
But if you're kind of going into it, trying to be something that you're not, it's confusing to people and you're going to kind of attract people who are not loyal followers in a way. They might be like, oh, I like your message this season, but then it's not consistent the next. So they kind of drop off. So it's a very long way to answer your question around community, but I believe it's through authenticity and being very clear with your messaging. And that creates, you know, a community of like-minded people. Mm, I love that. Authenticity creates community. I love it. Now, you recently announced that you're closing down Samantha Wills Jewelry. Now, some people might look at you and think, you are crazy from for walking away from this. And I'm sure you've probably got that, you know, from walking away from this global empire with a cult following, you know, most people would love to have. So can you tell us about that decision to to walk away? Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it's the biggest decision I've ever made in my life but it was the calmest decision that I've ever made. And yeah, I, I, it's, it's really still surreal. So we're trading through till January 2019. So we kind of announced it with six months to, to close. And I think the question I've been asked most, I think, is why aren't you selling rather than just closing? For me, uh, you know, ever so modestly naming the brand after myself all those years ago, I just didn't have the heart to kind of hand the brand over to a new owner and to kind of just sit by and see what happened to the brand. That was my main reason for not selling. And I think the the reason for closing is it just felt like the right time. We kind of said everything that I wanted to say with the brand. And I kind of refer it to the Seinfeld model where it's kind of going out on a high rather than waiting till you kind of, you know, run it into its last legs. And I believe that you know, we've always been a brand with something to say and we've done so with integrity. And I really wanted to honor that legacy by kind of, you know, time capsuling it into a 15-year journey. And yeah, it wasn't a long decision-making process, to be honest. It was, I made the decision quite quickly. And then I sat with the decision for a while before I told anyone else. And, and that kind of process was really interesting because I think when you're making a decision that big, my my advice when people ask me on it now, I'm like, wake up the next morning and pretend like you've already made the decision. So I would I wake up the next morning and I was like, hey, you don't have a company now. How does that feel? And I think the the big thing in decision making at any level, but I think at a crossroads like that, which was a very significant one for me, is getting out of your head and into your heart. And what I mean by that is like, if you're using the word, oh, I think this, or, you know, I think that, it's like, but how do you feel about it? And I think differentiating between how you think and how you feel is a really powerful way to make decisions. Yeah, absolutely. So what are you going to focus on now? The Samantha Wills Foundation, is that the direction that you want to go in next and really focus all of your energy and attention on that? Or is there something else as well? The Samantha Wills Foundation definitely will be a focus. Um, I'm writing a lot at the moment, so I've got a few books in me, I hope, of you know sharing stories over the last 15 years and what I've learned in that time and also paralleling kind of the, the public persona of the brand versus the personal aspect of it because I think, you know, young female entrepreneurs, and when I say young, I mean young in the, the entrepreneur journey, not, not so much young in age. It's all about you know, integrating a business with your lifestyle and, and that comes at a cost on, on both ends. So really trying to put a voice to the realities behind that. And that will be yeah, through the foundation, through a lot of public speaking and through uh, hopefully writing some books. So exciting. And one thing that I love about you is the way that you write. You're 
very authentic. You're very honest. You're very funny. I love how you share on Instagram and on your website. So I'm excited to see what comes about from all of this. I'm really excited and and I'm sure you're feeling the excitement as well. Do you think you'll move back from New York, back to Australia? I don't know yet, to be honest. Um, I'm definitely in New York for the next year and I'm kind of going to reassess. So it really is a very daunting time if I was to really look at all the unknowns at the moment, but I'm really trying to embrace that not knowing and being able to step back and see what presents itself and what's unfolding. And it's it's the first time in 15 years that I've really been able to do that. So on a bad day, I'm very anxious and nervous about it. But the majority of the time, I'm really excited about the unknown at the moment. Oh, so exciting. Now, for someone listening, I would love that that is starting a business. I would love to hear your biggest business lessons or any words of wisdom for anyone who is starting out. I don't, I mean, if you're starting a brand, I often, obviously we've spoken about community, but I think community is such an important part of business and it's with community that you can evoke change. So I think, you know, really focusing on what your messaging is and how you can consistently tell that. I think another, you know, word of advice that I would say that from lessons that I've learned over time is as the brand founder, be the first to put your hand up when the brand makes a mistake. Don't wait to be called out on it. I think there's a real power in that. And to be able to to be like, I was wrong is so much more trust instilling in the long term of the of the brand and the business. The other thing I like, we do a program and we have done for about 10 years in the Samantha Wills business called Surprise and Delight. And it was very much a no purpose generosity program. So it wasn't about you know, a, a gift we purchase or, you know, rewarding the highest spender, which we, we do in different ways. But it was very much about, you know, if you've got some products in the office and just surprising someone for absolutely no reason at all. So kind of that, you know, kindness and, and generosity for no reason. And the, the impact that we found that had was so long lasting and selfishly so it's that, you know, give us high where you, you get that real kick out of, you know, bringing kindness to someone. So, you know, looking at ways to incorporate kindness into your business and, and your brand, I think go a really long way. And I think if you're starting a brand, whether you call it after yourself or not, really recognizing the people that come on board to work for you. I think it's a very, very gracious position. The people that I've been privileged enough to work alongside over the last 15 years, it's not lost on me that when they come to work every day at Smart the Wills, they're coming in to build you know, my dream and my vision. And I think that's a really gracious position. So really identifying those people that, that show up every day to support you is, is very, very important. Such a nice reminder. So I'm a big believer in, you know, you spoke about it before, you know, when you're in startup or a small business or an entrepreneur, you, you're working 24-7. You never really switch off. And I don't really believe in this work-life balance. It's kind of like this integration because it all kind of meshes into one. But how do you make sure that you have a nice flow between work and life? Like how do you make sure that you stay balanced within yourself so that, you know, you're not all work and you're not all chilling on the beach, you know, how do you make that integration for you? I don't know if I'm the right person to ask this question, but (laughs) I think there's no set way. I think it's very individual to what is important to you in life. And I think, you know, I said at the start, knowing what your personal values are, but I think also knowing what success looks like to you. And that 
that could be financial, that could be travel, that could be time off. And I think we're in a, a stage in society at the moment where people are really valuing their health over wealth in a way that is really important to find what that stability is. And I, I think it's really, you know, it's a very top level to be like work-life balance because I, I don't think it really does exist in that traditional sense, especially in, in startup. But my advice over the years is the more that I've traveled, I've tried to push work and, and life closer together rather than try to separate them. I think when you're trying to separate them, it puts a huge stress on on both of them. But, you know, really trying to integrate uh, technology and trying to, you know, if you're traveling for work, add two or three days on one end of the trip and have some time off and really enforcing that downtime, I think is is really hard to do and it, it's really important. But if you look at it, you know, for so long, I, I pushed so, so hard. I was like, you know, I'm, I'm working... You know, I didn't take a day off in three years and it, there's kind of this almost like an underlying pride to that, which I held on to for so long for some reason. And if I look back now, it's just so silly because you're only really valuing your time at work for how much time you give yourself off. So it's kind of like if you're flogging, you know, a dead horse for, for three years and not giving yourself any time off, you really essentially saying that you don't value the recharge, if that makes sense. So... I think really factoring in time and it, it does feel quite foreign, I think, at the start because we're so conditioned. Well, I know in my conditioning, it was like, well, the, the harder you work means the longer hours and it's just really not a sustainable model. So putting in place some downtime and that could be literally putting your feet on the soil for you know five minutes each day. It could be taking Sundays off. It could be whatever it is to you. It, it's identifying what's important and, and what success looks like for you and nurturing that. Yeah, I love that. Did you, in that three years, did you get to the point of burnout? Absolutely, like multiple times. And it's the the more deeper you get into it, the harder it is to, to rejuvenate and to get back to a healthy position. So it's, and it's, it's a vortex, right? So if you're, you know, three years in and you're not taking day off or you're replying to emails at two o'clock in the morning, people then start to expect that of you and you set this really dangerous structure for yourself that is really hard to back out of. So it's almost like training people how you respond. So if you take, and I'll use emails as an example, but if you if you take a day to respond to an email that doesn't need an urgent response, people are okay with that. Like that, we get so um, micro in, you know, the world's going to fall apart if I don't get X, Y, and Z done. And it, it's just simply not the case. So, you know, having good people around you to remind you of that as well is I think really important. Can you share with us some of your boundaries? Like, do you have boundaries around email and your phone and Instagram? What are some boundaries that you've put in place that have really, you know, allowed you to thrive? Yeah, and and it's changed over the years. I think the ones at the moment for me is definitely less time on social media. You said before, you know, it it is the highlight reel and Instagram specifically that we're, we're talking about. But I think my kind of rule at the moment is however much time you spend on social media, you need to spend double that time reading and reading offline. I mean, whether it's a book or, you know, Kindle, not reading social media. And if, if you can't find the time to do that, then you need to cut down the the first, the foremost social media time because it's such a rabbit hole. And I just think it does things to our mind that take us on these journeys that that aren't healthy. And then we you kind of, you know, look up and you've been on your phone for an hour and it's just, it's so, so dangerous. And it, but it's a habit that we're not even, you know, aware that we're in. So 
that's been a lot for me to unwind that habit and really step back from that. But it's, I mean, I'm much better headspace when I'm on social media less. Mm, Me too. Totally agree. Now, everyone's definition of success is different, and I think it's really important that we redefine success on our terms, and it's going to look different for every single person. But in the traditional sense, you have had a lot of success. What do you attribute your success to? That's a really hard question to answer. I think continuing to evolve and to embrace change, which I think is still so incredibly hard, and I think if I look back over the time, it, looking up is is a really important thing. And what I mean by that is, yes, have the goal inside and have, have the ambition, but kind of be flexible in what that looks like. Because if you hold on to something so, so tightly, you kind of miss everything that's going on around you. And that could be something personal that you're missing. It could be a really brilliant business opportunity that you miss completely because you're so focused on one singular thing. So having the ability to embrace change, to be able to be, I guess, flexible in your day-to-day and and taking, you know, conversations and taking meetings and things and, and really sitting and listening to what people have to say rather than waiting for your turn to talk, I think is a really important one and um, seeing how that presents new opportunities. And I think for a long time, I just was so focused on getting from A to B, I missed a lot that was happening around me. And and when I started to embrace that, new doors started to open that I couldn't have even dreamt of. So being able to look up is really, really a, a key, key importance. Yeah, I love that. Now, what's something that's bringing you the most joy in your life right now? We did an in-store event last night and just the way that people are saying how the brand has impacted them and what it means, has meant to them over the years. It's incredibly overwhelming and I think, you know, everyone is a publisher these days. Everyone, anyone who's got an Instagram account is is a publisher. And I, I think it's really having that integrity of message. You don't really know how it's being received. So, you know, to hear that kind of feedback and to get that kind of insight into how, whether it be something I've written or, you know, something that the brand has done impacts people is bringing me a huge amount of joy and gratitude at the moment. Mm, beautiful. I'm a huge believer in constantly, you know, we're evolving, we're growing, we're learning. You mentioned before about reading and it's something that I'm really passionate about is constantly evolving and and growing. Mm -hmm. What's one thing that you're working on or would like to improve within yourself at the moment? Being able to quieten the mind much quicker because I think that goes against the concept of it, but being able to sit without that mind chatter continually going on, you know, in in the background. And I read the book, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer recently. And he talks about, you know, if you gave that voice in your head a persona and you sat them on the couch next to you and, you know, you're just sitting there trying to watch TV and they're like, you know, you didn't bring this person back and you haven't replied to this email and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. So if you actually took that voice out and gave them a, a personality, you'd be like, this person is actual, like, they're mad. They're, and, you know, but that person in our mind is who we go to for career advice and that's who we go to for relationship advice. And it's just kind of being able to separate that that craziness of chatter to really sit with, like I was saying before, like how does it make you feel? And, you know, if you can separate those two, I think there's a lot of freedom to be had there. Mm, beautiful. I call that voice inside your head the inner mean girl. She's the one that's like, you're not doing enough. You're not smart enough. You're not going hard enough. You're not doing this. And yeah, it's, you know, we allow her 
to speak to us like absolute crap. Spoke to your friends that way, like they just wouldn't be friends with. I know <laughs> exactly. Some people speak to their dogs nicer than they speak to themselves, and oh. and I'm totally guilty of that as well. Mm-hmm. No, it's and it's a scary thing. If you actually recorded that voice, it would be the most awful, vile things. And we, it's it's a habit as well. Like you don't even know it's so subconscious that it just kind of feeds in and it's so, so dangerous. So I think putting a stop to that and, and really that or bringing awareness to that is so important. Yeah, absolutely. Now let's pretend that you have a magic wand and you could put one book in the school curriculum of every single high school around the world. Now, besides your future books, which definitely should be in the school curriculum, what's one book that you would choose? Oh, I mean, The Untethered Soul that I just mentioned, I think is is incredibly powerful. A book that I read many, many, probably about 20 years ago now, and it's an old book, but How to Win Friends and Influence People by Dale Carnegie. I think the, the takeaway from that is be interested, not interesting. And I think that, you know, in business and life, everything is about relationships and it's about making someone feel heard and feel validated. And I think that is done through asking good questions. So it would be one of those two books. Yeah, they're great. And we'll link to them in the show notes. You spoke about relationships and something that I'm really passionate about. My second book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex is all about cultivating beautiful relationships, not only with others, but the most important relationship of all, which is the relationship with yourself. So do you have any advice on on how to cultivate beautiful relationships, like any relationship tips or advice? I think, you know, like I said before, the, the ability to really listen and not just wait for your turn to talk is a very rare trait. I think, you know, being aware of your energy and of the energy that you surround yourself with is when you bring real awareness to that, I think energy is is everything. And, you know, I often talk, as an example, you know, how you show up to get your coffee in the morning. If you show up with, you know, a bad attitude and then that then passes on to the barista, then the barista's, you know, meeting with another 400 coffee getters that morning, then they're meeting with at least 10 other people. And it's this passing of energy that, you know, is this greater consciousness. So I think if we bring that down to our relationships and kind of that micro, I think that's a, a really important one. And to, to bring awareness to that and to show up you know, with a, with a responsibility of good energy, because then you get it back. And I think that is a really good basis for a relationship. Yes. And we must take responsibility for our energy and for how we're showing up in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, there's so many people out there that almost projectile vomit their stuff onto you, but we really do have to take ownership for how we're showing up and the energy that we're contributing to the room. Like when we walk into a room or an office or to the coffee shop, We have to take ownership of how we're showing up because our energy can affect every single person in that room and we could make their day or we could break their day. And this is something that I'm really passionate about. Like every time I walk into a room, I want to uplift the room. I want to leave every single person in that room elated, not deflated. And I just love that you said that. So thank you for sharing. It's so important that we are responsible for our own energy. Absolutely. And you just, you don't know what other people are going through. And it's, you know, that age old saying where it's like, be kind to everyone. You, you know, everyone's fighting a hard battle that you know nothing about. 
a friend of mine worked in retail. This is going back 15 or, or 20 years now. And we'll never, ever forget this story. He was maybe 19 at the time. And he was working in retail and this woman came in and he's like, you know, what are you after? She's like, oh, I'm after a, an outfit for my husband. And it was in like a, you know, a general pants type store, like an urban store. And he's like, well, you know, like, what does he like? And so they kind of went around the store and he's like, she was just a bit standoffish. And he's like, I just couldn't put my finger on what was going on. So he like was really patient with her and she pulled out all these shirts. And anyway, he was with her for about an hour. And when he was ringing the, the clothing up at the register, she's like, I just want to really thank you for your patience with me today. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm not my best self today. He's like, no, not at all. Like, wait, you know, what's going on kind of thing. And she said, my husband died three days ago and these the clothes that you've helped me chose today is what we're burying him in. And she says, the kindness you have shown to me today has literally saved my life today. <sighs> and for this hour, like he was just, you know, being a, his awesome self and just being kind, but so often it would have been so easy to just be like, oh my God, this woman's taking so long or, you know, I've got, you know, other people to serve or what, whatever it is. And the kindness that he showed that day, it, it still gives me goosebumps to think of that story. And I'm like, you just do not know what people are going through. And you could be the, the only interaction that they have that day. So, you know, it, like you said before, make it a, an impactful and a, a kind and one that's going to turn their, their day and possibly their life around. Mm, that gave me full body goosebumps. And it's it's such a powerful story because I often say, you know, when the person cuts you off at the traffic lights and gives you the finger out the window and screams at you, I'm like, you don't know, like they might be rushing to the hospital because, you know, their wife has just gone into labor or someone has just passed away. Like we just don't know what is going on within other people's minds. We have no idea. So we have to meet everyone with that love and compassion and take responsibility for our energy and for how we're showing up in the world. So thank you for sharing that powerful story. I think it's too like when, you know, something, you know, you talk about something like that in traffic and it goes back to that awareness and calming the mind. Like we then hold on to that experience. Like, well then, you know, and he gave me the finger and he cut me off and then we then project that onto the next person and you can see the the chain reaction of of anger and of you know unmindfulness so it's like how do we flip that and if if the power of that can pass on let's pass on the power of kindness because we kind of oh that's that's great and you know i had you know it's a great experience and i keep it to myself whereas if we have a bad experience we're like oh and then this happened and then he said this to me and then this so it's, <laughs> it's flipping that narrative and like passing on kindness and allowing, you know, the bad moments to just kind of pass us by and let it go. Mm, beautiful. I want to encourage everyone listening to pass on some kindness today. You just do not know the impact that you could have on somebody's life. You just do not know. So please pass on kindness. All right, let's talk about how your day looks. Do you have a morning routine? How does that look? I love hearing about how people, as Tony Robbins says, prime themselves for the day. So can you talk us through your how your day unfolds and in particular your morning routine? Yeah, so I split my time, well, for the last eight years, I've split it pretty evenly between New York and Sydney. So I guess my New York day is very much, when I wake up, I... Well, I have a dog now, so I have to take him out and he's a little bandit. So he's kind of put a, a bit of a spanner in my morning routines. But, you know, I, I really try and start the day with 30 minutes of meditation. And I found that very, very, very hard at the start to, to even carve the time out. I just, it was very hard not to be like, this is a pointless exercise because my mind would just race. 
but now I sit there in meditation for 30 minutes and uh, the process of that is give gratitude. Then I sit there and send love to people in my life and then I just sit in silence, which I really enjoy that process now. Then I get about my day. I then try and do some exercise and at the moment then it goes straight into writing. So, you know, anything creative, you hope that the creative flow is happening that day and if it's not, you're kind of sitting there banging your head on the table. Uh, but at the moment, so far, so good. And then, you know, in New York, it's it's a very social place. So a lot of my my friends and I over there, are, you know, eat out most nights. And then I always end up with 30 minutes meditation as well. So it hasn't always been like that for the eight years, but that's kind of what my day looks like at the moment. Beautiful. What type of meditation do you do? Do you have, like, is it a breath meditation, a mantra-based meditation? What type? When I was first starting out, I was doing a lot of yoga nidra, which yoga nidra, sorry, which is very much, you know, you can just Google any of those type of meditations on audio. And it's very much about bringing you into your own body and essentially in, you know, present in the space. Um, and once I kind of got a handle on that, I really just sit there myself. It's, I don't, I don't do a lot of guided meditations now. It's more just sitting there in silence and kind of really clearing the mind through breath. But, you know, it's, it's a very personal thing and it's it's something that you have to be very patient with yourself with. If you're not doing meditation at the moment, I really encourage don't give up on it, you know, push through and it, it's something that becomes a really beautiful habit throughout the day. Mm, so powerful. When did you start meditating? Probably about two years ago. There's a company in uh, New York called Mindful Meditation, which are like meditation studios, which are all guided. So you go in and do a 30-minute, well, I guess it was about a 20-minute guided in these beautiful spaces in there. And so I kind of like really learned the basis of it back then. And then I really started to do it, you know, up to an hour a day. So 30 minutes, like I just said, on on either end of my day around the time about six months ago when I decided to make this company closure. And it was very much around, you know, I felt like it was a obviously such a big decision, but a lot of moving parts around that. I really needed to find a way to ground myself and top and tail the day with it. So six months has been, you know, the more committed program, but about two years overall. And how have you found it? Is it just been life-changing for you? Well, I wouldn't say, I mean, yes, overarchingly life-changing, but it was, it's, you know, I read this thing the other day where it's like, you're sitting there filling up a bucket, you can see tangibly how full the bucket is getting, but it's, it's really not like that. I think with personal investment and, and personal growth, some days it's very, very frustrating and your mind just races and you're like, what, what is the point of all this? But I think it's one of those things, if, if I look back on who I was six months ago or two years ago, you can see those big jumps in, in growth, in calmness, in mindfulness. And I think that's the opposite to, you know, filling up a bucket. It's, it's, it's not a tangible thing to, to sit there and be like, oh, yesterday this happened and now I handle it differently this way. It's more those longer periods when you look back and be like, yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful investment and a really universal consciousness kind of you, you just start to see things differently. So in answer to your question, yes, it is it is life-changing, but it, it takes time to reflect on that change. Mm, it's like the little things we do each day add up to big results or big consequences. It's these little tiny things that in the moment we might think, oh, this is doing nothing, but it, it, it really is. Absolutely. Okay. So I am a massive believer in gratitude. What are three things that you're most recently grateful for? So when I give gratitude each morning, I just, I choose little things. I choose the way that, you know, a smile that a stranger might've given me on, on the street or, you know, a, a compliment that the doorman might've given, just kind of breaking those little things down to be more aware of 
the little nuances in life. So it, it could be how great the coffee tasted rather than, you know, obviously I'm grateful for, for the big things and they're always, you know, circling in, in my gratitude mind also. But uh, really breaking it down into the little things I think brings a really lovely touch to top and tail of the day. Now I've got three little rapid fire questions for you. Are you ready? Yep. Okay. So in your opinion, what is one of the most important things that we could do today for our health? Just one thing. Meditation. Yes. Love it. All right. What is one of the most important things that we can do for more wealth? So more abundance in all areas of our life. More abundance in our life. We should give more. Mm-hmm. Yes. And what is one of the most important things that we can do for more love in our life? So to cultivate more love in every area of our life. This is going to sound repetitive, but I think to get more love in your life, if you give more love in your life. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. This has been so powerful and so beautiful. Is there anything else that you want to share with us? Any words of wisdom, anything that you want to leave our listeners with? That's a also hard question to answer, but no, I think, I don't know. I think I, I said it before and I, I read this the other day and that's why I'm, I'm repeating it, but be generous for no reason. Be generous with yourself, be generous with others. It, it truly is, you know, you get what you give kind of thing. So if we can be generous for no reason, I think the abundance of that is unlimited. Yeah. It all circulates. It's just energy. It's all circulating and it's contributing to impacting other people's lives. And if we can take part in that, then it's pretty awesome. Agreed. So I am a massive believer in service and being of service to others and helping people as much as I can. It's something that I really love doing. So I want to know how I and the listeners can serve you today. What can we do to serve you? Oh, that's a very lovely question. I think... You know, with social media, I love seeing kindness and connection on there. I think, you know, on the Samantha Wills Foundation, I, even though, again, humbly named it after myself, it's about bringing other people together. So if, if you're on social media, if you're following any of our accounts on there, shout out to others and, and show kindness to each other. And I think that is, that is something that is a huge impact to me. Mm, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and for giving us your time today. This has been so powerful and so many nuggets of wisdom and great reminders, you know, for anyone who is going to start a business or wanting to take their business to the next level or just wanting to be a better human. So thank you so much. I will link to everything that we've mentioned in the show notes and to your incredibly stunning Instagram. Like I literally drool over your Instagram. I'm like, is like, is that really her home? Like, is she, does she really live there? Or is that like a studio? No, it's the highlight reel. Let's not lie to each other. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so beautiful, darling. So I will link to it in the show notes and thank you again so much for being here and for sharing your wisdom and for sharing your love with everyone in all the things that you do. I'm so grateful that we've had this time together. So thank you so much. No, thank you. And thank you for facilitating these type of conversations. It's platforms like this that really have impact. So my eternal gratitude to you. So thank you. Wow. Wasn't that amazing? Isn't she such an inspiration? I am just so inspired. 
And if you are too, and if you got lots out of today's show, please subscribe and leave me a five-star review in iTunes or on your podcast app, because that means that we can inspire and educate even more people together. And don't forget to come and join the MA Tribe private Facebook group, where you can share your insights from today's episode. Plus, tell me who else you want me to get on the show. It's also a sacred space where we can come together to discuss all things Mastering Your Mean Girl and Open Wide, along with anything else that you feel called to contribute to the open and honest conversation. You will also get some extra love and support personally from me that I won't be offering anywhere else. And one thing that I get asked all the time is, where can I find my tribe? Well, this is where you find your tribe. So head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash tribe to join our group now. And for everything that Samantha and I mentioned in today's episode, you can check out in the show notes and that's over at melissaambrosini.com forward slash 175. And you can also listen to all my other episodes there too. And another thing that I wanted to mention before I go is if you haven't got my latest book, Open Wide, A Radically Real Guide to Deep Love, Rocking Relationships and Soulful Sex, all you have to do is head to melissaambrosini.com forward slash open wide to get your copy now. And when you're there, you will also get access to my free open wide video masterclass that Nick and I created just for you. And if you want to be the review of the week for next week, make sure you head on over to iTunes and leave me your review now. And before I go, my darling, I just wanted to say thank you so much for being here, for wanting to be the best and the healthiest and the happiest version of yourself and for showing up today for you. You rock. Now, if there's someone in your life that you can think of that would really benefit from this episode please share it with them right now. You can take a screenshot, share it on your social media, email it to them, text it to them, do whatever you've got to do to get this in their ears. And until next time, don't forget that love is sexy, healthy is liberating, and wealthy isn't a dirty word.